0: When you pass through the seventh gate of hell, you realize that you are surrounded by absolute nothingness. There's no time, no pain. Just a great, giant, black void. And you're floating there in the ultimate solitude
1: Welcome to our very own giant black void today, the drawing Core podcast in which there is no pain and no time and perhaps for you it is ultimate solitude if you choose to retreat from the world and listen to this podcast in the safety of a um, cave, bath, bed, armchair, woods. How are you? It's been like, uh, it's been like ages We've taken another long hiatus As we said in the last podcast Rather than try and keep up a weekly ting More releasing podcasts when we got something good to talk about We got something good to talk about this week Something in fact that we we promised each other um, a while ago the second in our bad trips psychedelic horror film podcast film club thing the um, film called Toad Road if you haven't watched Toad Road um, you only go and check it out I'll, I'll definitely be spoiling it in fact it's probably already slightly spoiled with that little quote there don't worry if you heard that and you're like ah fuck it didn't give away very much I promise. But um, yeah, if you want to watch it, go ahead and try and find it. If you can't find it, then send an email or a message to the Drawing Core podcast and we'll try and help you out. If you don't want to watch it, this podcast should still be interesting. That's the idea. It's more an exercise in reading a film. And by reading, a film we're not really trying to work out the intention or the meaning but more just trying to play with it and i think it's a great thing to do with any bit of culture you consume like put it into your own head mix it up with your own thoughts and see what you can get out of it It makes you maybe makes more chance to appreciate even the less loved bits of culture in your life or you know like reinterpret them and find something in them that is more interesting to you or to other people if you're having a chat about it, if you're watching it together. Filan, filan. So, this week's podcast is all about Toad Road. Toad Road is a psychedelic horror film made in 2012 and it basically tells the story of a girl called Sarah exploring the urban legend. Urban myth of Toad Road, which is a real urban legend, and it's um, a path road in a in a woods, which supposedly has seven gates, and if you pass through all these seven gates, you will reach hell. It's a, it's, a, it's a road to hell, a highway to hell, if you will. Um, and we're gonna go, we're gonna go, we're gonna go straight in for it not going to mess about you might be um, probably still in in a coronavirus type lockdown situation maybe you're still watching a lot of films maybe your life is slowly changing to be back to yeah normal I guess hopefully there's still a space for a little podcast in there and hopefully the changing coronavirus situation is not getting you down hopefully it's still somewhat interesting to you changing up the way you live your life maybe we'll do another podcast talking about the virus after all this time we talked about the virus a few podcasts ago when it was still a new thing but toad road right Toad Road, get on, get on with it. Start talking about the film, what you're doing. You said you were just going to jump straight in and then you didn't. So. Toad Road opens with one of our protagonists, James, waking up in the snowy woodlands. And he walks down to the road, he hitches a lift and he gets in Gets in a car, and despite the fact the hitchhiker tries to strike up conversation, James is very silent, very serious, brooding over what has just happened. And then we flash back. And this is the we're gonna flash back to like what is what is a big chunk of the film and what is gonna kind of lay our foundations for how we're gonna read it. So James and his group of friends are a kind of messy, drug-focused lifestyle. They're pretty directionless, maybe even destructive certainly kind of stupid and playful and um, James is receiving a kind of talking therapy, talking to some kind of counsellor which provides our exposition and um, a little commentary on what James is thinking about his situation da, da, da. but a large chunk of the film especially at the beginning, is just scenes of him and his mates getting fucked up and doing things like lighting each other's pubes on fire, being stupid, silly, whatever. And all of these are shot in a kind of home video type fashion. And this this, this draws a lot of criticism for this film because people aren't really asked about seeing these kind of drop out kids doing drugs because it's been, we've seen it before, if anything. The filmmaker Jason Banker who directed Toad Road, he he, uh, made documentaries before and a lot of this footage of James and his friends is shot supposedly documentary style like it's actually them actually getting fucked up and actually doing whatever kind of crazy shit they're on and a lot of these actors are not professional actors but more people who are living the kind of lifestyle that uh, mr. Jason Banker wants to present and it is true that this is kind of stuff we've seen before the, the particular thing that it calls to my mind is the uh, sort of '90s skater videos, things like "Can't Kill Yourself," the stuff that became Jackass, and Dirty Sanchez, and all this stuff. That um, it, it was a kind of skater culture that became more interested in pranks and more interested in um, doing crazy fucked up things, courting danger with kind of stunts, etc and i think there is a there is definitely a certain relationship that i want to grab there between the skater culture as we see it presented back to us in videos and the characters in this movie so what jason banker directed before this was a documentary called all tomorrow's parties and all tomorrow's parties was a uh, a kind of festival, series of events that happened in UK and then later in US and it, it documented this scene um, after the fact so Barry Hogan is the guy behind All Tomorrow's Parties Festivals and I haven't seen this movie but I, I, from from what I understand from the story of All Tomorrow's Parties is that these events were uh, at, an irresponsible financial risk. Barry Hogan had this vision of um, festivals that were free of bullshit advertising, bullshit promoters, just about the music, very passionately about um, a kind of anti-industry music scene, DIY stuff, and at the, at the, it was still trying to attract big bands and trying to book big uh, famous groups um, who could play and people would get to see them for less money without any of the barriers that people might usually have, um, celebrating music scenes in a way that was free of really high ticket prices or um, lots of middle people getting paid along the way, sucking up money, all this kind of stuff. um, Which was kind of supposedly doomed from the beginning because Barry Hogan didn't have any um, of his own money really to escape that world and so a lot of these bands ended up end up didn't getting paid. They ended up avoiding being booked um, for fear of not being paid. And like <clears throat> some other countercultural figures were involved. so the first festival I think was programmed, I think the first one was programmed by Stuart Lee who we talked about in our alternative comedy podcast. Stuart Lee is a bit of a denizen of the um, DIY comedy scene So to have him booking uh, bands. he was also a music journalist at the time so that it's not completely out of the music scene I think is super super interesting. We see a kind of uh, I want, I want Barry Hogan for us to be a kind of an archetype. this guy who is, passionate about the alternative DIY scene, really sick of uh, how the music industry controls the business, but ultimately um, his ambitions are unsustainable and so it becomes a very chaotic mess. Now, All Tomorrow's Parties and Barry Hogan, our archetypal, archetypal Barry Hogan, That's not James in Toad Road, that's not James, that's not his mates. James and his mates are camp kill yourself, jackass crew skaters. Barry Hogan archetype is more like the uh, Z-Boys in Dogtown. So much before these um, prankster stunt type skater videos, uh, we see Basically, the birth of modern skateboarding through um, the Zephyr skateboarding crew, and in, in Dogtown in U.S. and there's a really lovely film which I just watched and having I didn't expect for it to be to be able to relate it so much to fucking Toad Road. It couldn't be a more different film, but um, obviously it's in my head now and I see um, these passionate skaters who want, who care just about the skating and are pretty much anti-skate industry or at least this is the the fiction film that was made called Lords of Dogtown. It very much plays with that dynamic of skaters uh, who are very passionate and are in it it just for the skating and the pull of the kind of skate industry trying to get them to be part of more business-minded skate stuff. So the 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 Z Boys, they are more like Barry Hogan archetype because they have that passion for the uh, essence of the culture. And as we see, you know, years after that, um, the guys who made Jackass and CKY, they're not so passionate about the skating. They take a particular attitude which is in that scene of kind of not caring being reckless not being afraid to fuck themselves up always pushing it's still a kind of unsustainable ambition but it's there it's much more rooted in chaos those the the, the z boys didn't what you never see in the in the dogtown movie or the or the documentary about them is them crashing and breaking their limbs and um, getting into all kinds of fucked up scrapes but surely they had that reckless attitude which allowed them to fulfil their passion for skating rather than being scared they're going to fall off and die and the CKY and Jackass crew, these later skater movie makers, I see that as Focusing in on that recklessness, making a creating a love for the chaos without really the passion for the skating. That's not no longer the focus. So that's this is this is how I want to relate to James and his his group of drug passionate friends. Something that is very something that I, I, I notice a lot about how they're presented in the film is a certain kind of nihilism. So I want to play you a little bit now, which is uh, kind of what um, I think Jason Banker, the director, after he made this All Tomorrow's Parties, um documentary he said that he loved the footage but it didn't really say anything and he wanted to create something that felt like that but actually went and had a real story to it. So he's kind of taking a distance from that Barry Hogan scene and he's actually kind of more interested in that aftermath of chaos lovers. And in this little audio clip we see James kind of denying what his uh, therapist would try and understand as their original passion as a group and just kind of disperse it. And you get the sense of nihilism, I think, because they don't really kinda care about anything anymore. They're just going with it.
0: Well, and that's, see, that's one of the problems that Bob has brought up to me. He feels that in some cases your friends um, or the relationships that you key into your friends, um, I guess, to put it in a different way, are not reaching the heights that he would like you to reach. I know how he feels about my friends. Is, is it music that aligns you with these people? Is that a common bond? So I'm, I'm wondering if music is a key, an alliance here that, that builds up. That. It's, it's a symptom rather than, you know, the cause. Um, and it's it's a downward slope too. It's a gradual progression. You, know, you start out going to shows and, and meeting these people, and then
1: and then it, it grows from there. And their circle of friends becomes your circle of friends, and, and deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole we go. What I understand from that, what what I feel from that, is a kind of hollowness to this lifestyle. James and his friends. The stuff they do is pretty dumb, pretty gross, without like higher or deeper intentions. And we'll see the contrast with Sarah's character in a bit. But it could suggest how they are kind of driven more by the, the drug and taking the drugs than the experience of the, of the drugs. They have, um, There's a scene where they take some pills and the, what you see of them... On these pills is is just kind of oh my gosh is too much rubbing their faces and lying around on the floor you get the sense that they're not really after something m- m- more with this experience it's just they're driven by that feeling of drug effect we see them more fucked up rather than euphoric or introspective beyond this, it seems hollow because while they're a small group of friends, presumably quite close, both he and another of the (coughs) main characters, Whitley, express a kind of lack of care for their friends when it comes down to um, something they care about more, which in, in this case is Sarah. They're both in love with Sarah and they say how, you know what, fuck those friends, they don't really care about them. And this is kind of underlined by the fact that as the story goes on and James falls in love with Sarah more he articulates a kind of greater aspiration to leave it all behind and move on so even he who is kind of at the center of this chaotic scene sees the lack of potential in it or feels himself a bit nihilistic towards it doesn't really fucking care about it I want to frame that hollowness then as a kind of self loathing and this this reading that I'm doing is quite kind of charitable because I'm trying to think like what's interesting about this but as a little side note I do think that there is a bit of a darker Perspective in this film, which looks at these people doing drugs and thinks badly of them, thinks that they don't have any prospects and thinks they're a bit crap and thinks that they don't love themselves and thinks that it's all a bit doomed because of a prejudice against people who take drugs that to me is much less interesting, and I think it's not it's very dismissive of the whole thing. On the other hand there's a there's a there's an interesting way the film uh, presents james in that the, he's going to these counseling sessions because his dad wants him to go and if he goes his dad will continue paying his rent so in we get a little glimpse there of james as privileged and then there is a certain implication that james can be so chaotic because he's privileged maybe all of these characters in fact are, are quite privileged in their self-loathing, nihilistic, hollow, drug-taking. That's the whole reason they can do it. Which is, which is an interesting thing to explore. It's, it's really not explored more than that in the film. But I just wanted to make a couple of side points there, to, to remind that we're doing a, a reading where we're trying to find something that we want to see in the film. We're not saying that this film is necessarily saying this and I think it's important to point out that perhaps the self-loathing the hollowness that I'm reading into James and his friends is a negative attitude of the filmmaker towards people who take drugs but it's possible, it's very possible let's talk about Sarah so Sarah is the contrast to James and his group of friends she is more our Barry Hogan archetype so she's a a new friend to the group she um, doesn't really sort of explain how they meet but they meet at a place and um, becomes friends with all of them and wants to be involved in their drug-taking experiences and her first real experience is um, having a mushroom trip in a dark cave all of the friends go into the cave to take mushrooms one of them gets pissed off because he's not going to take mushrooms and he doesn't want he thinks that the rest of them are all stupid for taking mushrooms so he fucks off Sarah having eaten her mushrooms goes to follow him but ends up kind of lost in the cave and has a pretty bad trip um, and the, the trip sequence in the film is pretty oblique pretty scary pretty abstract but she has this bad trip on her own in the cave and that is something that really touches her and kind of pushes her um, to follow that experience deeper. Um, So I'm going to play a little uh, clip from the film which is is kind of of saying more or less uh, something about this.
0: I felt like something like attached itself to me like pulling me along somewhere but I don't know where the fuck it's going this is just something I feel like I have to do and it's been pushing me and I've been letting it I don't just take acid like all your fucking friends do and hang out stare at walls <laughs> you know it's not like that for me this isn't just *Urban legend
1: so there is Sarah in fact defining herself um, as different to James and his friends, and it's it interesting in like the in like the the last clip where James is talking to his uh, therapist, he says you know we're going deeper down the rabbit hole, but in that context it's kind of he talks about it like a decline, like the rabbit hole is just going into this void which is meaningless. Sarah is also going deeper down the rabbit hole but to her this void is not meaningless it's, it contains a lot of potential meaning which she is pretty driven to see and understand so she is quite bold she is very self-assured she is very active in searching for that meaning She's almost this holy figure in the way she is kind of like touched by her trip and then um Has this passion, this kind of, and I say holy figure also because she, she's almost she's almost doomed. She's almost like a bit martyred in this way. And I mean, you probably didn't, you probably wouldn't need me to point that out. We know it's a horror film. We know she's going to end up interested in these seven gates of hell. So it's going to take her down a pretty dark path. Um, but. Her passion is a lot more alive and a lot more vibrant, even very positive. I'm going to play another clip of her and James talking about this, about her becoming interested in Toad Road, in the road to hell. So this kind of gives you an idea of her attitude, not only to that specific thing, the the road to hell, but also to her attitude to drugs, because they're very... Um, Continuous.
0: Well, from what I've read, at the first gate, you start feeling like things are watching you. At the second gate, you start hearing things. At the third gate, you actually start seeing things. And at the fourth gate, apparently people pass out. Good. That's great. Um. Fifth gate is the one that no one's gotten past. Apparently time starts to warp and change and you lose grip on anything that's happening around you. And no one knows what the sixth and seventh gates are because no one's gotten past the fifth. But that's what I want to find out. So we're the pioneers now, or the trailblazers. We're going to find
1: them. Is that the idea? We get a little bit of an idea there about what these seven gates consist of. The idea of them. And also an idea of how determined Sarah is to go down this way. And uh, James calls her a pioneer, trailblazer. And it's here that I want to compare her to Jessup. So the first Psychedelic Horror Film Club was all about the film. Um, altered States in which uh, Dr. Edward Jessup pursues psychedelic experience as a way of understanding humans as part of his science. And like Sarah, um, he pursues it down a pretty dark path, which you're kind of geared up for given the fact it's a horror film, you know, in a similar way to Toad Road. But he is similarly driven despite. His friends advising him otherwise. So they are definitely kind of analogs to each other. Um, but we we did we did a towards the end of our talking about altered states, we talked about the gendered reading of it and how it was a lot about it, we could read it a lot about being a man, being a man in the science scientific community. Um, kind of hard logic which is very uncaring very emotionally detached and how the film was potentially um, examining this through its story so in contrast like we have a a very feminine sarah so while to, to use some of these um typically masculine and feminine characteristics just to just to just to try and play them off each other we can think that yeah, Edward Jessup is very logical. Sarah is also pretty logical. She has this as well going for her. She uh, is very methodical in how she explores psychedelics. She's looking up uh, videos and research and she's finding more and more, which crucially, you know, James and his friends are not doing, are not interested in. Jessup is pretty emotionally detached, but Sarah isn't. Sarah has um, two lovers in the film, James and Whitley, and we we could think that she is somewhat using of these people, but she's pretty straightforward in what she wants from them. She's pretty honest to them. She's pretty loving towards them. She doesn't do anything particularly mean to either of them in their relationships. She is kind of emotionally invested in her place Edward Jessup is rational, um, but and always kind of using the um, rational terms to put the unexplained in a in a way where it can be taken seriously. Whereas Sarah is presented more as somewhat of an irrational character, or, or at least defying conventional wisdom. So she's she rejects her life, which is a uh, Student life, she's studying. But throughout the film, she kind of detaches from her studies, she becomes uninterested in them, much more interested in pursuing this psychedelic, darker path. Jessup is strong headed, whereas Sarah is more unclear and unassuming. She has an idea of what those Uh, unknown gates can hold but she doesn't come with her scientific hypothesis she is much more open this is this is certainly a characteristic that we associate more with femininity than with masculinity and Jessup Jessup is scientific and linear progressive like working up to his Uh, deeper and deeper experiences pushing himself uh, towards a kind of conclusion about the nature of man whereas Sarah is a lot more ephemeral so if we compare the abstract nature of the trips because both scenes have trip sequences which are pretty abstract um, but uh, in altered states we actually see uh, Jessup become a kind of formless messy organism thing. We see him also bec- uh, regress to being a monkey state. We see these much more much more abstract but much more in-your-face images um, along with um, much less tangible abstract images of lights, colours, um, fiery lava type flashes, things like this. Sarah's trip sequences are much more cut up reality they're much more like a distortion of the scene that is happening there and then i think there's something a lot more ephemeral about this there's something a lot more um, blurred boundaries between reality and unreality whereas Jessup's experiences there's a kind of clear boundary which he crosses and and keeps walking into whereas we're kind of we, we have a lot of uncertainty about what really happens to sarah when she goes down this toad road the film is very inconclusive about this whereas uh, Altered States has a very definite conclusion and even like a reformation for Jessup's character, a lesson that he learns but to have woman as pioneer I think is perhaps the, the core of the Interesting gender comparison here because the Altered States film is about masculinity insofar as it's about man a man trying to claim his right to be a pioneer and to find the answers and to discover and he has a quite a the men in that film have quite a Nasty relationship to the women in the film at many points, which we talked about at the end of that altered states discussion Whereas now we have woman as pioneer and in, in contrast James the 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 male character who is there with her when she goes down this toad road he's kind of the weak one and his uh, combination of a kind of hollow fucked up life but his aspiration to get out of there which he voices to Sarah in a way that she really tries to deflect because she's sort of saying well yeah if you want to go and do something custom you, you know you go and do it I'm kind of busy following my path here so his his character James's character seems kind of pathetic in that in that um, dynamic so he seems much weaker Sarah seems much stronger so I want to play another little clip which is an interaction between them about their attitudes which uh, which speaks to some of this I think There is no bigger picture to drugs. It just, that's the entire... Okay, see, that's the
0: problem, is that that's what you think. I know what I know. This isn't about the bigger picture because I'm getting fucked up.
1: I chased the same fucking...
0: You've chased it. I've found it. I am this close. You can either help me or... You know what? Not even help me. You can either come with me or you can stay behind.
1: So I think it's really interesting to see this film as um, sharing with us an empowered woman an empowered feminine character and I want to talk a little bit about the actress Sarah is played by another Sarah um, all of the cast uh, have this, share the same names as their acting counterparts and Toad Road is in fact dedicated to Sarah's memory because the actress died um, shortly after filming the movie and as I said, a lot of the film is kind of documentary. Supposedly, these scenes with James and his friends were often shot during their you know, like normal interactions. Normal for them, usual fucked upness. Sarah comes, as many of the cast do, comes from Baltimore from a kind of similarly drug addled scene. Um, so she shares. That Baltimore scene with the characters in the film, but she more than that, um, the actress moved to New York City, and um, her story reminds me a lot of uh, Patty Smith's story uh, in her book uh, *Just Kids*, which was which set you know at the end of the '60s or at the start of the '60s, the end of the '60s. I think it's the end of the '60s. Anyway, a, a long time before. But the reason that Sarah's story. Uh, echoes this for me is that she moved to New York City and became in with these kind of grungy artist scene, and mixed with like quite cool and prominent names in this underground artist scene. She she, and she was she was a kind of grungy artist herself, and she got into drugs a lot more during this time. So, in fact, maybe her move to New York City uh, is actually closer to her move into this. Her, her characters move into this drug adult scene with, with James and his friends but it, in, a, in any case she has a the actress had a drive to push herself to do more to be in with uh, a kind of more, more significant scene and ended up uh, dying of an overdose and in the film we see how uh, Sarah's pushing herself to experience more leads her down a darker and darker path until she's eventually uh, lost. So um, I, might, I might just play this last clip now of um, Sarah talking about that end that she's going for by walking this road to hell.
0: Everyone thinks the seventh gate is hell.
1: That's the legend, isn't it?
0: I don't think it is, I think it might be something better, something real.
1: Like Edward Jessup, she believes in the greatness, the goodness of her goal. She is passionate as much as it might be an unsustainable ambition. It's tragic because it is... It, it, it is something she believes in. It is her passion. It is her fatal flaw, which causes her to um, eventually disappear. So after her and James go down the, <clears throat> uh, after they after they start this toad road, um, she takes two drops of acid, liquid acid, and she kisses him. So she spikes James, and together they have their acid trip. Walk down this road. Eventually, James loses Sarah, and then the implication is. Um, A great deal of time, an, un- an unknown amount of time passes. He wakes up in the woods. He leaves. He goes back home. He meets his friends, all of whom tell him that it's been like three months or six months. It's been a long time to him. It he hasn't he hasn't been conscious of basically any time passing. But this this the psychedelia in the film, the acid trip that they go on is converging with the horror of the the road to hell so psychedelic psych- the psychedelic experience is, is a is a scary experience and is an experience where th- what what is known to to james falls apart and sarah is is not is not seen again and we have this kind of denouement at the end of the film where james is trying to live without um live outside of his his old life and figure out what went on and we never really uh given a conclusion about what might have happened to sarah so as with going through the gates like like in those um, clips i played where they get deeper and deeper and go closer and closer to this horror place where reality starts to fall apart. Sarah has her own initiations through meeting James and through taking this mushroom trip in the cave and um, discovering more, trying to learn more about it. There are these phases as she gets deeper and deeper and eventually she is gone. Eventually she, like reality, kind of falls apart and we're not really clear what happened to her. So she's kind of prey to the horror and to the psychedelic horror to some extent. To some extent she is also the horror. She is the one who spikes James, gives him the acid. She is the one who pushes them and herself to go down this path. And there is a kind of final vision sequence where James sort of seems haunted by her. There are these slightly violent trippy images um, of them uh, covered in blood and. It's unclear about whether something happened or whether that's just an expression of James's mind. And it's in this last part of the film when he is alone and trying to figure out that maybe we could see that he he is the protagonist of the film rather than Sarah, like the central protagonist. And we could we could have a simple reading that like his life has become completely fucked because of drugs and because of this psychedelic, because this horror that is explicitly psychedelic. But from Sarah's perspective, she doesn't, apart from spiking him, she doesn't force anybody. She doesn't really fuck with anybody. She is quite um, self-assured. She's doing what she needs to do. And she, like I said, deflects James's attempts to suggest that they could um, get out of this life and find something better. She is looked upon as the horror and we kind of we, there is this aspect of her being the horror that is presented to us, but she's also she is an outsider. She is the only feminine character. The other women in the film are, are not as feminine as her. She she comes from outside. She not part of their group initially. She is idealized by her lovers. She is a, a kind of tempter. She's she, she the her lovers kind of act as if they they are being led by her, whereas. We kind of see that it's their love for her which is um, making them agree to go with her. And she is a dreamer. She is believing in this more. So she, she is very contrasted to James and to his friends. And so maybe we start to see the horror and the psychedelic as being about uh, the, the real and the here and now and the other. And if we were to do a, if we were to that if we were to kind of come back to a gendered reading of this we could see the James character with the more masculine character as failing to relate with the more feminine or, or basic basically that the feminine is something that is unrelatable not in essence but because people can't grasp it in the film so it's their failure which loses which there is it, it, their failure uh, over which Sarah is lost She reaches this ultimate solitude, as we heard in that quote at the beginning of this podcast. So she has kind of become the ultimate other. She has followed this psychedelic path away from reality and kind of exists in another place now. This is very different from Altered States, which is uh, Jessup's quest for, uh, Jessup's journey into psychedelia is about getting back to the root of man and regressing and understanding what is at the core of us as humans I think I've said man during this podcast when I've meant like mankind as in humankind which um, is is a slip of the tongue but I mean also also I think that's how it's presented in altered states it's a very masculine film and a masculine drive of that character whereas this attitude to psychedelia is a much more feminine one as I think because the the feminine and the woman has long been made the other in our society because the masculine and the man has been positioned as dominant so this is my this is the interesting reading I think we can get from Toad Road is that there is a passion located in Sarah and a drive which is pretty self contained pretty self assured It's, it's her thing it's no one else's and she follows that. But the chaotic scene of James and his friends who are a lot more self loathing, perhaps they have a kinda of hollow way of living and attitude to their own way of living. They can't they can't conceive really of Sarah's potential. They they can't follow her down that path and so she becomes lost to them and lost to us. As we are kind of left with James and towards the end of the movie we see more of these kind of home video type movies where James is asking strangers on the street to punch him which is like, you know that super jackass camp kill yourself kind of territory whereas the more romantic story of the Z-Boys in Dogtown is Sarah's romantic story which is tragic at the end of the day I think I'm going to leave it there that's the that's kind of that's our reading of Toad Road. I hope it was interesting. I hope that, especially I hope if you watched the movie that it made you think some things that you might not have felt watching the movie because I, 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 I don't, I didn't choose this movie because it's an, uh, like a great film. I chose it because it's interesting. I chose that we can get something interesting out of it and because this is after all a psychedelic horror film club and it is after all a psychedelic horror film. So, you know, be sure to do lots of crazy readings of all the other media you consume. Thank you for being with us in this podcast. I'm going to love you and leave you now with a song by Deggie Hugie called Betty, which has just been sitting there waiting to be played on the podcast for a while. It's not particularly relevant to what we talked about today, but um, it's it's a nice one. It's a nice one. So... Take care of yourselves. Guzalba kandenize. Opuram. Seviyorum Sizi. Be compassionate to yourselves. Be compassionate to other people. You know the drill. And I'll see you next time. Tamamos man. Hadi bye bye.